I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot and Prongs are proud to present the Marauder's Map. If you succeed tonight, more than one innocent life may be spared. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a pod. This is chapter five. The Dementor. Yeah. Dun, as, dun, dun. as you can hear, Elizabeth is back <laughs> with us. And what a great chapter for Elizabeth to be I with us I love the dark, spooky thing. So I'm very happy to be here for this episode. I feel like this chapter splits the deal it does a lot of catch-up mm-hmm. and then it also propels us forward in a lot of ways very quickly yeah this book i think is the most um just buffer between harry in the summer and hogwarts that we've had since uh, since book one we're already more in book three but right there there's a lot of we non-hogwarts to, activity to, like, at the explore... beginning of this book diagon alley a little bit yeah. which is fun and the night bus is a whole thing yeah, yeah. but anyway uh, this chapter starts out with Harry and uh, the Weasley children saying goodbye to Molly and Arthur. And then they get on the Hogwarts Express, which, which all kinds of shenanigans. ministry cars take them to yes. the Hogwarts Express. Old-fashioned green cars, Which right? can jump in traffic super quickly, which made me very jealous. Uh, then they get onto the Hogwarts Express to get to Hogwarts, which a whole bunch of shenanigans happen, which is what we're going <laughs> to be discussing. And uh, then they get to Hogwarts and uh, and the fun of the semester really begins. Yeah, so, back to school time. Uh, when they're saying goodbye to Mrs. and Mr. Weasley, um, there's some interesting notes there. Uh, first of all, Harry walks in on Mrs. Weasley talking about her making a love potion back in the day. <laughs> To which Hermione and Ginny are just giggling over. I mean, why not? That's I'm like, funny. Mrs. Weasley. Okay. She's got All her right. secrets. No. <laughs> All right, then. But then there's a super sweet moment where, you know, she's hugging and giving everyone a kiss. Yeah. Goodbye. And then she gives Harry a little extra hug. Which makes him both embarrassed, but also really pleased, which I think is very cute. I actually put in my notes that she's such a dear, and then Dan made fun of me for being from, what, the 1950s? Is that what he said? (laughs) But I just think it's so sweet, because, like, he's a teenager, and usually you get embarrassed by those things, and it's like, ugh, don't don't kiss me in public. All of the other Weasley children are probably a little bit embarrassed. Yeah, but for Harry, this is, like, still the first loving embrace that he's had his entire life. Probably the, the... First loving embrace from a mother figure that he remembers. Yes. So oh, it's very sweet. It's, it is a big moment for him in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mr. Weasley comes over and says, like, Harry, I need a word with you. And I like how Harry actually approached this conversation. He's like, look. <laughs> it's very mature. I, I, it is very mature. I, I know you don't have to say anything. You don't have to put yourself... Out on a limb here. And I know like what's going on. I overheard you and Mrs. Weasley talking. Right. And, you know, Mr. Weasley's grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also really tries to get through to him, like, you are in danger. This is a real thing. If right. you haven't been paying attention, I've been, like, right up on your shoulder this entire time. Uh, looking around, looking down streets, you know, right. like, the whole thing. You're very protected, Harry. We you just keep had ministry protected. cars. It's not because I work for the ministry. Right. And um, essentially he, he 
tries to get the message across, don't go looking for Sirius Black. Right. To which Harry replies very logically, why would I go looking for someone who wants, who wants to, to kill, kill me? me. <laughs> Mr. Weasley says a very pointed thing. He says, you might, essentially I'm paraphrasing, he says, you might hear some things. Right. Don't go looking for Sirius Black. Right. Which is a very cryptic Which of hint. course makes him think about it more than he would have been otherwise. Uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I would have gone about it the way that Arthur did here. Yeah. As I said with, uh, with Molly, I do agree with Arthur bringing this up to him. Oh, 100%. So I agree with that. I don't know if I would have done it the exact way that he did it, but I, I think it's necessary for him to know, like, hey, really, be careful while you're at Hogwarts. Don't try to do anything too crazy, um, which he obviously is very prone to do. Um, <laughs> Harry, do you think it's better crazy? No. <laughs> anyway. It's a very boring life. <laughs> uh, the vast majority of this chapter takes place on the Hogwarts Express. Right. Uh, which is a very interesting place normally. But uh, we get the trio trying to find a compartment together. Mm-hmm. And well, they, because, I mean, Harry was delayed with getting on the train. He pulled him aside and was like, I have to tell you things. The train almost left without him. Yeah, but at least this time he has the Weasleys with him, so he doesn't have to fly. Right. <laughs> So he would send an owl. He's learned his lesson. Yeah. So they end up finding like one of the last compartments available because everybody's settled into theirs. Mm-hmm. And they notice that there's a disheveled looking man <laughs> sitting in the corner, kind of slumped over asleep. Which naturally, of course, does make them hesitate. Because I mean, it like, probably should. Yeah. I mean, if you see like a, you know, if you're on the train or something and there's someone who maybe looks a little homeless or something, you might. You know, you know what I found space. interesting? Because obviously they're wondering who this person is and Hermione is very adept at being like, well, it's Professor R.J. Lupin. I've read his briefcase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I've read the, the tag on his... Um, but in this chapter, it specifically says a couple of times, as if J.K. is not trying to lead you towards an impression of Hermione. Mm. She uses, Hermione said keenly. Hermione said shrewdly. Like, she's trying to bring you down a certain line of thinking with Hermione in some of these quotes and everything. But anyway. She's very observant. Yeah, I, I just noticed some of the words that J.K. was using with Hermione specifically. I'm like, wow, you were really trying to paint a very specific picture. <laughs> but anyway, so they end up uh, deciding that this this man is definitely asleep and not waking up anytime soon. He is so hardcore passed out. Yeah, he's he's hardcore passed out. So they just break into their discussion of Harry telling them what happened in the Leaky Cauldron the night previously and what Mr. Weasley had just gotten through telling him. And I think it's funny that Harry was like, Oh my god, they're reacting with so much more fear than I thought. But like Ron knows of Azkaban. He knows that it is a horrifying place. Granted, he's never met a Dementor yet at this point, but he's like, it's scary. And From everything that his father has told him. Yeah, and he's like, he had top security. And this guy, if he's after you, my best friend, that's scary. And Harry, of course, is just kind of like, I mean, he can't be worse than Voldemort. Yeah. He's like, are you kidding me? I feel like there's a big difference there. Uh, there, There is, but there isn't. And Black did like, some dangerous stuff. Yes. yes. 
But uh, I mean, he's literally accused of killing thirteen people with one curse. That's and a not, strain is three, which is where Hermione is coming from. It like she doesn't know the magical side of it, like right. Ron does. She's coming at it from. Do you know what he's like convicted of? Right. It's an aggressively dangerous crime. Like right. It's it's not a pleasant thing that he's. But at of. this moment, it's like I know Voldemort has a personal vendetta against me. He is coming after me. The idea that Black's coming after yeah. me, like I don't know why that would be. So whatever. But it's like, oh, Harry. One's more tangible than the other at this point. Yes. <laughs> yes. So. Very much so. Um, but anyway, so uh, they're getting into this discussion, and then they come up on the topic of Hogsmeade. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, Harry's like, yeah, no one's going to let me go now because of what we just talked about. So, and he doesn't have his permission slip signed. Right. So, Does it strike you as weird that, like, they haven't been to Hogsmeade before? At least, like, the Weasleys haven't? Because it seems to me it's like it's another wizarding town. Here's it was the, an easy, like, yeah, fireplace away. Here's the problem, though. Hogsmeade kind of gets me as almost like... A vacation kind of area. But it's strange that they haven't done a vacation like that to Hogsmeade. They don't have money. I know they don't I, have, I don't want to like... I know, but like like the travel is just like, okay, flu powder. Woo, sure. Away. But then... You could do a day trip just to go to Honeydukes. You have so many kids. And it's like Honeydukes. <laughs> the Shrieking Shack. Going to just see that. That won't cost money. You know? There Which are it, things Hermione, that they could just do. Day trips. Because Ron mentions all the cool stuff in Hogsmeade. Right. Well, all the cool stuff to him. Which is candy, candy, candy. Right. Candy, <laughs> gimmicks, and uh, stuff like that. Whereas Hermione then brings up, it's like, yeah, but Hogsmeade is also the site of the 1612 Goblin Rebellion. Mm-hmm. And the Shrieking Shack, which you mentioned, that's the, quote unquote, the most haunted place in Britain. Right. Which, which is, is interesting since Hogwarts is technically haunted. What makes it the most haunted, you know? They have ghosts. Yeah, and Britain has a very long and very bloody history. <laughs> what in the world makes the Shrieking Shack the most? I guess per per square space, <laughs> maybe? I don't know. It's a wall-to-wall ghost. I mean, it is a shack, right? So it's like maybe it's just ghost per foot. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it was an interesting uh, dynamic between the two. Yeah, it just strikes me as like it could be an easy, quick day trip kind of vacation. Just to even just to explore, even if you don't spend any money, it would it just surprises me that the wizarding family of the Weasleys haven't been there before. Yeah, well, they certainly know a lot about it. (laughs) So the next thing Hermione does is let out her new pet from the uh, the, what is he, a wicker basket that yeah. Which no cat is going to be Which, happy being in a winter basket. This, this prompts me because we have such a cat person on the episode today. <laughs> what are your thoughts on um, Hermione going with Crookshanks over like an owl or any other? Or like Molly really wanted the three <laughs> mice skipping, <laughs> skipping rope with their tail or whatever. The three rats. I love that she had Crookshanks. I think the fact that he's described as having a little squished face and all that is adorable that she chose. Oh, so you him. like that? Yeah. I don't there know are other I thoughts I have that. about him that I'll leave for the spoiler section. Okay. But in general, the fact that she went for a cat as opposed to an owl. I mean, like, there are owls available for them to use at Hogwarts. So it's not like you have to have an owl. It's just nice, I guess, to have one. And then, like, as we've seen with Neville... 
a toad is useless. Um, Scabbers is also fairly useless. So a cat to just like cuddle with and have wander around the common room. I think that's awesome. I would so want to bring my cat to Hogwarts. I don't know that I would go with a ginger squished face cat. If I'm going, that's adorable. just a personal preference for me. He's adorable. Uh, anyway, <laughs> all right. We'll come back to him. With that all out of the way for a second, uh, now we get into really the... The crux the, of this chapter. Yeah, the whole climax of this chapter is uh, the Hogwarts Express starts slowing down randomly. They're like, what? It seems like a little quick to be done yeah. with the ride. Hermione yeah. checks her watch. is like, no, no, no. We're definitely not there yet. And all the lights flicker out. Mm-hmm. Ron sees shadows like moving into the compartment. Well, everyone wants to come find each other, which I think is is interesting. I mean, Ginny comes running in, Neville comes running in. They're like, "Where's, where is everybody?" This is a scary, unknown thing to have happen. Yeah, well, yeah, presumably this doesn't happen to the Hogwarts Express all that often. Um, <laughs> Do magical trains also break presumably down. like most of your teachers are at Hogwarts waiting for right. you. Right. There's no adults. There's very few adults. You, uh, As far as we know, there's the driver of the Hogwarts Express, the, right. the conductor, and then there's the cart lady. Right. So you have those I would two. go seek out Hermione. I feel like she would have some knowledge of what's maybe going on. I would seek out whatever seventh years are on the, the that train too. at that point. Yeah. Like, who's the most experienced Yeah, here? that's true. Um... But now you have you do have obviously the uh, professor, though unconscious as he is at the moment, <laughs> in your in your compartment, which does help. Yes. Uh, but obviously, um, one of the Dementors, the title of the chapter character, comes to our trio's compartment, and you just see this like uh, I'll let you describe the the Dementor. You have the great description right there for you. Okay, so we already talked about how the lights go out, which is very much setting the scene, very spooky. Uh, they see there's the cloaked figure with the face completely covered, so kind of looking like the you know personification of the Grim Reaper and death. Um, there, Harry describes the hand that reaches out towards them as being glistening, grayish, slimy looking and scabbed, like something dead that had decayed in water. So very descriptive details there. Um, when it like breathes, because we can't see the mouth, but we can hear a long, slow, rattling breath, almost kind of like a death rattle a little bit. And there's this intense cold feeling. Harry said it's like the cold went deeper than his skin. It was inside his chest. It was inside his heart. And it makes Harry hear screaming. Yeah, Harry ends up having... Uh, I like the way it was written. It was, mm. it was kind of written in this like... It just washes over you. Yeah, she wrote it in like this descending kind of description. Mm -hmm. And then you can almost envision the words fading out. And then it picks right back up with like someone slapping him in the face. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Harry. So he obviously had a very aggressive reaction to this. Right. And the first thing he tries to do is figure out like, oh, didn't you... Faint, didn't you didn't hear, hear screaming? screaming didn't right. you hear, and Which I mean, Ron like, said, like, I felt weird, like, I'd never be cheerful again. And Ginny was shaking like mad, though. Which I guess, like, they just got this tiny, tiny little taste of what Azkaban is like in the, those five seconds or so. And they said how Lupin said some words and shot out some bright lights at the thing and it made it go away. But it's a scary 
scary moment to start off your year. Yeah, no, it's it's a very aggressive, alarming way to start off your year. And if you're Harry, now you're having all of this self-doubt because none of the other people, yes, they had a reaction to the Dementor. Mm-hmm. But none of them had nearly as consequential of a reaction to the Dementor. And as the last you had. time he heard things that no one else could hear, it was the Basilisk. And now we're hearing screaming that no one else can hear. That's an unfortunate thing for Harry. So, of course, it's going to make him question everything. Yeah, for sure. I, at least, you know, this <laughs> Ron and Harry and Hermione were all kind of like looking at this professor as you know as ragged as he was and and whatever questioning like is this guy gonna last it is if he's the defense against the dark arts teacher like we think he might be is this dude gonna last because he doesn't look very strong and then he shows up and he expels right. this demon from the compartment and they're all like no nah, he's good he's all <laughs> like, right we'll be okay he's competent <laughs> Uh, but then, thank God it wasn't Lockhart. <laughs> Could you imagine? They, they all would have died. They all would have died. Um, Sorry, Lockhart. <laughs> but Lupin then gives them all chocolate, which mm-hmm. seems super random. Admittedly, seems super. Random. I remember reading it when I was little, being like, "Oh, these wizards have such interesting like medicine, chocolate. <laughs> Heck yeah!" Um, so if you look, chocolate specifically, dark chocolate, which Dan doesn't like, but I love. It can help reduce anxiety. It can improve symptoms of depression. So Lupin really actually does have a purpose and knows his stuff when he gives them chocolate. Yeah, which none of them take initially. No, the first like, two times he, he says this. He says it twice before he leaves the compartment. None of them take it. Well, don't take candy from strangers. <laughs> he literally just saved your life. <laughs> like, if he was going to kill you, he would have just like continued to lay there. Um, but then he goes out to, uh, talk with the, the conductor of the Hogwarts mm-hmm. Express, returns, and he's like, guys, I really didn't poison that chocolate. Yeah, and really I like how Harry's, like, impressed with some of the warmth that he feels from eating the first bite of chocolate. Yeah. That's how I feel when I eat chocolate. Skipping ahead just a bit, we will backtrack, but mm-hmm. then you get to Madame Pomfrey, mm-hmm. when she hears of Lupin's exploits in the, the uh, compartment on the Hogwarts Express. She's well, like, she wants to like keep him overnight. He's like, heck no. Well, yeah, but she hears of Lupin and is like, we finally have a competent teacher. Like Yay. we have, we finally have like a competent. Well, it took us a few years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's some shout out to what Lupin he knows might be stuff. going forward. Yeah, he knows his stuff. Um, now, where Pomfrey does come in there is uh, once Harry and. Uh, Ron and Hermione get to the school. McGonagall pulls Harry and Hermione away from the group, which Ron uh, feels quite <laughs> left right, out. Right. But she has some business to deal with with uh, Hermione. But she wants to check in on Harry and be like, "We heard you had a particularly bad reaction. reaction on the train. Gotta How are you feeling? Students. Do you need some like rest?" Pomfrey comes in. They have a whole big discussion about it. They're making a big deal about this, and Harry's like, after already hearing it from from Malfoy on the way up to... Right, Malfoy's such a punk with this. Uh, you fainted, yeah. Potter, really? Yeah. <laughs> so after already hearing it from Malfoy, um, now they're fawning over him being like, are you okay? Do yeah. you need this? Do you need that? And he's just like, I'm fine. Let me just go eat. I'm hungry. <laughs> like, can I just have food? Uh, which I can relate. Yes. So... <laughs> Yeah, so they get back to the feast, 
They miss the sorting. They do miss the sorting. Which I do think is in part J.K. Rowling attempting to go another year without having to writing a sorting song. Because <laughs> it is hard. It's probably true. That's probably true. Uh, yeah, you don't really need McGonagall to swiftly take them up. I think this no, might have been a route to do. Let's avoid it. Which is very smart on her part. Yeah. So I'll give her that. Uh, Dumbledore gives his speech about the Dementors. Um, which fascinated me and made me think a little bit about my job. Um, He said how the Dementors are there as guards, and it's not in the nature of a Dementor to understand pleading or excuses or invisibility cloaks. Um, Hint at Harry. Um, But just the idea that they are here to protect you, and it's the Ministry who has really put them here. I'm not particularly fond of them, but just be aware that they're supposed to be protecting us from, you know, the killer who is on the loose. Does give some of the parents that sense of, like, okay, my kid is going to be safe there, which is good. I know there are pros to it, but there's also the cons of, you know, like, the Dementors, they aren't, like, Dumbledore said, like, they're not going to listen to you and they're not going to be like, okay, you're okay. They're just going to go after anybody if they feel inclined to. I don't know. It was just making me think of the whole argument of, like, you have something dangerous to protect you from other danger. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? You could argue it either way. Lupin comes out and says, do you think Sirius Black is hiding underneath our cloaks? Right. That does nothing to the mentor. He's like, <laughs> I don't care. Like, I'm still staying here until Lupin then mutters what he mutters and right. light comes out away. and forces him away. Right. Or it away. So The idea yeah. of we're going to put a dangerous thing to protect you from danger. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Which I could totally see Dumbledore's perspective of I'm not happy about this but I have to so you students have to not be idiots when it comes to them you have to it's, really take them seriously for him it's it's encroaching on his he thinks really you can't you don't think me and these teachers can protect these students enough. and the magic of Hogwarts itself yeah um you really think that we can't do it right. it's encroaching on him a little bit right which always rubs him the wrong way right. like whenever you kind of slight he's a very humble guy but if you He's like, slight I'm powerful, him, don't yeah, worry. he does kind of like flare his chest out. Students. Especially because the last time they like he was trying to protect his students, and then they took him away. Like Jenny got taken into the Chamber of Secrets. So yeah, you so know, every time my you, job, he doesn't really ever speak highly of himself. But when you slight him, he puffs his chest out and is like, <laughs> "No, no, 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 I got this." <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So he says that, which obviously, as soon as he stands up and speaks. Great Hall goes silent. Right, because it's a serious, all, scary thing. It would freak me out if I was a student. They're all listening to him quite intently, which goes to what they think about him. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, which Harry says a poignant quote, which we'll get to in the spoilers for a second. Uh, but he announces the teacher lineup before he uh, lets them all go. He acknowledges Professor Lupin is a new... Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. This gets like spatterings of applause because people are like, yeah, he doesn't look like he's going to last. Yeah. Uh, he's not, you know, dressed to the nines like the other <laughs> professors are. Like Lupin was. Or not, sorry, not Lupin. Uh, like, um, like Lockhart was. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, no one. No one can match the <laughs> the magenta or fuchsia robes or whatever. Uh, but they also announced that Professor Kettleburn 
has retired as the Caramagical... To spend more time with the limbs. The, his remaining <laughs> limbs. Uh, Kettleburn, that is an answer to many uh, Harry Potter trivia questions. So, Professor Kettleburn, remember that one. <laughs> uh, but Professor Kettleburn retires, so who takes over his spot as the new Caramagical Creatures teacher? Hagrid. Yay! Which is just the best gift that Dumbledore can possibly give him. Because, I mean, this entire time, like, I mean, Dumbledore knew, or at least suspected, that Hagrid really wasn't involved with the Chamber of Secrets. That's why he kept him on the ground. So, we... It's just such a reward. We can get into it a little bit later about whether this is a smart hire or not. (laughs) Which I know a lot of people are going to come at me for that, because Hagrid's a great character, and he is a great character. But... (laughs) We'll debate it. We'll get into that later, but... It does. It is meaningful. You're right. It is super, super meaningful to Hagrid. And it makes him cry. It makes him cry. Use tablecloth <laughs> to, to dab some tears and McGonagall shoos away the students as he's having a moment. Right. It's um, just very sweet. It is. It's it's a it's a cool moment for Hagrid. So, shall we go to the spoilers? I think spoilers are due up next since we're starting to try to get into some. So yeah. we'll pause it right here. Enjoy the sound of Anna yelling at me. <laughs> I, I, I'm kidding. You cockroach. <laughs> I kid. I kid. I'm trying to transition into this aggressive break sound more and more and more. But anyway, enjoy the new break sound. Come on back. And come back for the spoiler. You, you foul and loathe them evil little cockroach. All right. So we are back from break. And before we get too far into the spoiler section, uh, Elizabeth has something that she just wants to make absolutely <laughs> clear. It's a disclaimer. Um, similar to Anna, when you are young and you're reading the books prior to the movies coming out or the audiobooks coming out, you read names the way you read them. And I am a very fast reader, so a lot of times words like the letters just kind of smush together. So <laughs> I have always called Sirius Black Cyrus Black. And I'm going to do my very, very best to not do that during these recordings. I'm going to try to just say black because serious to me, I just, in my brain, I just hear the dark night with the Joker being like, why so serious? And I just can't, I can't take it seriously. He is Cyrus to me. You can't take serious seriously. I can't. The same way for Anna, Dobby is Dobie. It's just one of the... The names, the habits, I cannot break. So if I do slip, apologies, don't hate me. I know it can get annoying to hear that. So I'm going to do my best. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, you've been good so far, so keep <laughs> it going. Trying. Uh, you also had, you said you had some thoughts on Crookshanks. Yeah, so you were asking, like, why Crookshanks? Like, was that a good pick? And I think Crookshanks shows a level of intelligence that is very fitting for a pet for Hermione. I mean, even before meeting Sirius Black, like he recognizes that Scabbers is not a rat. He is obviously Peter Pettigrew. In so rat you're form. thinking it's not just a common dislike that cats have. I want the rat. rats. No, I don't think so. Cause I mean, there's, there is something very like, like, I mean, Ron, of course, is highly attuned to it because, like, your cat's eating my rats. Like, well, you're also mad at the cat because he landed on your head. Like, there's a little bit of a grudge there. But so, I think Crookshanks, the fact that he's, like, always immediately is in tune to it and understands, like, where the rat is hiding. I think he recognizes this is not right. 
and so, I should try to go after it because clearly these humans don't know. So what did you think of Molly and I's discussion about Crookshanks and theories about book seven then? Were you aware of those before I mentioned it? Or no, were you not? not in the slightest. Do you want to review them for the people? or just Well, it was, it was just generally like thoughts of... That he's magical and whatever. That if he's from the magical menagerie, he has to be magic. And it seems as though so far, it just seems to be a normal ginger cat. Maybe his maybe he's had like an intelligence boost spell or something on it. So people then got to thinking like, well, maybe Crookshanks can be a key to book seven. Yeah, I mean the fact that Black later on recognizes and says, like, this is not an ordinary cat. He is the most intelligent creature of his kind that I've ever seen before. I think maybe not so much that he's magical, but he's like I said, he's a very fitting pet for Hermione and he's very needed for the plot of this whole book. <laughs> so it was a good good choice of Hermione's to pick him. Speaking of Hermione, you wanted to get to her time turner. Guys, she gets to travel through time. The time turner is like one of the things one of the two magical items that I always wish I had. The other one we'll get to in book five. But, like, the time turner, I just think, is so fascinating of an object, a magical object. And as almost every fandom out there discusses at one point or another, time travel is very interesting and complex. Messy. It's very, very messy. And I think it's funny how, like, Harry, he says how he only had to wait a few minutes for Hermione McGonagall to talk, but clearly, like... I mean, that could have been hours that they were learning how to use the time turner. I can totally see McGonagall as being like telling herself to keep her office empty so that she doesn't accidentally like see herself later on and like freak herself out. Like she's, she's smart like that. But that said with her intelligence, I think this is one of the poorest choices that McGonagall makes in the entire series as a teacher. I know that's a very hot take. Dan's eyebrows just went up. <laughs> that, it's, a, it's a hot take. It's a hot take. Here's my thoughts. I okay. Do, before you get into this. Yes. It's a hot take. I That you agree with? No. I, I'm <laughs> just saying like the idea that McGonagall's perfect all the time oh, is no, a very popular not. take. She's, she's not, not perfect, she's not. you guys. I think I can understand her perspective of Hermione is a great student. And she's not going to misuse this, which, I mean, she said that she had to convince the ministry, like, no, this is a top-notch student who will not abuse time. She's just using it for studies. But she should have known. She's, what, 13 years old? And she's signing up for almost every single class you can possibly take. Even if she's smart enough to handle all the subjects and it really is just a love for learning, she can't redo hours of sleep. She has her one bed to sleep in, and there's always the chance that someone can walk in and discover, you were just in the common room doing homework, and now you're in your bed sleeping? Like, that was weird. So it's like the mental exhaustion she's going to be going through, as we see, the physical exhaustion just overtakes it. And McGonagall should have known this is a kid who is asking for something that is not good for them. And she might not see the logic in the moment, but McGonagall, being the adult, should have known she can't handle this. I have to say so no. So here's the question that I pose to you, then. Mm -hmm. 
Hermione, as gifted and as brilliant and as intelligent as she is, right. is not the only gifted, brilliant, and intelligent student to come right. through those corridors. I think she's the first one who has signed up for every single class, though. Maybe. I mean, Tom Riddle's <laughs> not going to take Muggle studies. <laughs> but, and to that point, if I'm Dumbledore or McGonagall, Mm-hmm. And I see Hermione, who's Muggle-born, taking Muggle studies. Do you just, <laughs> do you just literally one up her and be like, "No, you're not taking." I'm sorry, we're just not gonna. Approve. I would totally see that as like, child, you're just looking for an easy A. You don't need this like, class. If I were them, I'd be like, "No, we're, we're vetoing that class. <laughs> That's you what don't they need should it." Have done. They should yes. have been looking out for Hermione, and knowing like she is a child. Still, who isn't but, thinking necessarily about the physical toll is going to take That being on her. said, though, she if they're doing this, there has to be a precedent of them doing it before. Not necessarily. I can see people, like Bill could take arithmancy and ancient roots. I could see that it as makes being sense. Like, like you have one extra class, but it's taught as like a one-on-one type of a thing. Or, like, you take the... Cl- what's Different it accommodations. Yeah. Like, what was it? Like, you take it independently, maybe. And I could see Hermione taking muggle studies independently if she really wanted to, though why would she? But I, I, it's just, like, maybe one class independently. But your schedule cannot be where you have, you know, three classes at one time, and you have to keep track of that every single day, while also keeping track that no one notices you're in two places at once and also not running into yourself so that you accidentally like, you know, harm yourself, your past or future self. It's just so much. And I don't think Hermione knows it. So McGonagall should have been looking out for her best interest and been like, sorry, we got to make a choice. We're jumping the gun on this a little bit because it, it really comes into play in the next chapter a little bit, but yeah. we'll, we'll get to the next chapter. Uh, Elizabeth will come back for it. So you got more of her, <laughs> Her teacher takes. As we get to another teacher here, uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time on Lupin because Lupin deserves it. This is our introduction to Professor R.J. Lupin. Well, before we get to Lupin, then, I want to talk about the Dementors a little bit. Oh, right, 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 right. Or at least you wanted to talk. Do you want to go back to Lupin? No, we can do the Dementors first. Dementors first. Okay. So, Dementors, as we learned later in the books, of course, are, you know, they are... J.K. Rowling's personification of depression. And they literally will suck your soul from your body and leave you as this hollow, you know, I mean, being, but with nothing to you. And they affect everyone. The muggles can't necessarily see them. You know, um, Dudley, of course, like he can feel them later on, but he can't see them. But just the descriptions that she gives is such a great... Um, description of of depression like there's the cold numbness the weight in your chest the literal darkness you feel around you it's very difficult when you're in a depressed mood to even feel the sunlight even if it is sunny outside Uh, you just you can feel the happiness sucked out of you it's almost like you're a living death and then once the dementor is gone then that that darkness it lifts and you feel the warmth again and it's just like you know you're out of that that hole which I just, it's its so interesting to me that, like, this is how she chose to personify the depression. And, and I, I can totally see many people identifying with this and, and knowing the struggles of of being in that, that mentality. Um, 
I just think it, it, it's a nice way for her to almost think like, okay, at the moment I'm depressed, but maybe there's a Dementor nearby. So I just need to think of my happy thoughts and try to push it out of the way and eat some chocolate and maybe it'll lift off of my shoulders and go away. I, the fact that the Dementors look a little bit like death, death yeah. is an interesting kind of addition to it because it's almost as if, if you encounter a Dementor, you're getting the ambient vibe that they give off, mm -hmm. but also you're seeing this literal death cloaked figure coming towards you. So what naturally happens? Your fear Amplifies. spikes, yeah. your anxiety spikes. It reminds me of the ring race in, in Lord of the Rings, you know, like they were men once who became these like, you know, dark death looking figures. And they said how like, if one of them gets you, like you become them. You wouldn't be the like, first person to make a Harry Potter Lord of the Rings. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> there might be a lot of similarities. There's a lot missed, there, though. yeah. Um, I will also say I like how like we get a callback to Ginny's trauma. Because, uh, I mean, they were saying she was shaking like mad, though. Of course she was. She just had all those... I mean, she was possessed the last book. That was only months ago. Uh, Harry obviously has the worst trauma, and we learn later how the screaming he hears is Lily, you know, being killed by Voldemort and, and getting to relive those memories from his, you know, very, very young age of his parents' death. Everyone else, though, it also it fascinates me that everybody gets affected. I mean, even I've, I have met people who have said, like, ah, I've never been depressed before. I'm like, how? How have you never been depressed? But everyone has bad memories. And, I mean, Harry later on, he wonders, like, oh, what was Dudley freaking out about? What bad memories has he had that he had to relive? So it, it's just it, they fascinate me. And I, I think it's one of those things where it's like by personifying them, it almost helps the fans who do have depression kind of cope with it a little bit more because you're just like, it's not me, it's the Dementor, and I can survive it same way Harry Here's did. how you beat it. Kind Here's of how you beat it. You think of the happy thoughts, you surround yourself with your loved ones, and I, I just think it's there's a beautiful thing about that description of this darkness. I think she does a great job with the characterization of it. Mm -hmm. And and making it a tangible thing mm -hmm. that you can then... You place the blame on that as opposed to yourself. Yeah. It, it, it's a good way. Of, it's a good story technique. It, it is. It, it's really well done. Good job, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> uh, so... Lupin. So going back to Lupin, specifically, I wanted to start out with where we meet him. Mm -hmm. uh, we meet him in a compartment on the Hogwarts Express. Which, first and foremost, is like, okay, why is this adult on the Hogwarts Express? We've never, like you said, we've never seen professors on the Express before. And I looked it up. Guys, guess what? September 1st, 1993, which is when this is taking place, there was a full moon. And we know why would a full moon affect him so much? Because he spent the night as a werewolf, which is, of course, why he looks ill and exhausted. He was up literally all night. You get very, very tired if you're doing that and then having to go to work the next day. So here's my question for you. That's great. That's a great fun fact. That's awesome. <laughs> that is really, really super cool. Thank you for looking that up. That's uh -huh. awesome. That doesn't answer why he was on the Hogwarts Express. And I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on again. <laughs> 
And because Lupin is a talented enough guy, obviously, mm-hmm. to get to Hogwarts in a variety of different ways. Right. So why is he in this compartment on the Hogwarts Express? You don't think Dumbledore had any idea that Debentures might stop this train and we need someone. You know, he's his... there to protect them. I could see what I'm saying. That. And I could see him as like, I'm asleep on the job because I was up all night. I'm just saying it looks like he was a plant from the beginning of just yeah. like, you're going to be on that train just in case. I do think that shows a lot of trust that Dumbledore has in him. Because any other person would probably be like, oh, there's a werewolf around all these children. Dangerous. Especially coming right off of Right the, off of it. What if they, I mean, they don't know, but maybe they're like, oh, maybe there's lingering effects of like, I have to bite them all. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. It's a good thing he was there. It was a great thing he was there. And he asserts his abilities quickly. Mm-hmm. So everybody, readers uh, as well look at him as like, oh, he's competent. He's right. like a really competent, he right. fits. He's respectful. We're going to have good defense against dark arts lessons this year. Right. But here's here's the thing you got to remember. This is the spoiler section, everybody, okay? Yes. Lupin, and <laughs> we'll get to the Snape stuff later. But Lupin went to Hogwarts. He was a member of a group that we'll get to later in the book. <laughs> Cause I feel Anna's ears perking up wherever she is right now. <laughs> <laughs> Lupin is a member of this group of students called the Marauders. He was essentially friends with James Potter. Right. Here, we meet him in a compartment with Harry Potter. Just imagine. I mean, like, first you're on the train that's taking you to the school. That automatically puts you back into the mentality of, like, the nostalgia. But then to wake up from your sleep and to see someone who literally looks like James... Other than the eyes, he has Lily's eyes, but you, which is a whole, which is another thing. Which is a whole too. other thing. But just looking up and seeing Harry, and just the emotional depth that must have taken on him, and then to not say anything at all. No, he plays it insanely coolly, right? And which just doesn't acknowledge so anything. Oh, I'm sure it's insanely hard. Like I would have cried. <laughs> <laughs> just. You in tattered clothes, just hugging this child on a compartment. <laughs> you like, who are you? <laughs> no, but I mean, that's the point. We I both mean, yeah, had it in our notes for this chapter of just like, he's got to be feeling a whole boatload of emotion. And I love how his very first act is to protect Harry. And given what Sirius Black is accused of, mm-hmm. and given he's broken out, and Sirius Black, again, spoilers, part of that Marauder group. There, there's a whole lot of emotion going on with Lupin during this entire... You know what I thought I just had that mm. I didn't put down my notes? Mm. There were two marauders in that compartment. There were? What do you think Peter is thinking at this moment? Wait, did you just say RJ Lupin? <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> oh, God, I would be like so nervous. Maybe that's why Ron was like, oh, Crookshanks is, you know, after my rat. He's probably shaking with fear in his pocket. He feels probably very uneasy. He's literally with... Harry Potter. Right. And Lupin. Right. A man he betrayed and a man he wants dead. And Pettigrew fully knows that Black is coming after him. Right. He's, yeah, there's no reason. He knows. That's why he's losing so much. So he's in a very, very (laughs) precarious position and he's being hunted by a cat. Yeah. So. Yeah, but going back to Lupin, I mean, it, it must have been so hard for him to not say anything, but it was good. I mean, we know he's protecting himself because he doesn't want anyone recognizing that 
he had that connection to Sirius and it's protecting Harry because it is, it's an awkward thing of like, wait, you know, my parents, how'd you know my parents and, and who are you and why are you hugging me and all those things that he doesn't want to embarrass him. And that's smart, but that's so hard. When do you think Lupin got the call to be the Fence Against the Dark Arts teacher? The minute Lockhart was no, left no, no. his office. <laughs> I disagree with you there. My point is, do you think he got the call before or after Sirius Black escaped? Oh. Hmm. So if he was hired before Sirius Black, that's just a happy coincidence that he happens to know Sirius Black. Right. If he's hired after, I think Dumbledore is really targeting someone who knows who Sirius Black is. Familiar with him, familiar with the situation, familiar with Harry, familiar with wanting to protect Harry. So another one of Dumbledore's thinking ahead. Oh, it's a very intentional thing, I think. I can totally see that. I can also see it, though, as like... I think it's a late call to Lupin being like, hey, can you do this? Have you you heard of Sirius Black? Yeah. This whole thing. I could see that, but I could also see it as like, last year we only had one applicant, so now I got to search for applicants, and Lupin is a competent one. With I think that search gets very pointed after the Sirius Black. Yeah, news. and even further in the in the years, I mean, like Moody was a very specific hire. Of course, Umbridge was forced upon them, and then right. Snape. <laughs> um, speaking of Snape, really quick. Yeah. Uh, so they have a moment uh, that Harry recognizes at the teacher's table where Lupin is announced, and Snape has a, quote, loathing stare in Lupin's direction. Which, of course, Harry recognizes, because that's the look he usually gets. (laughs) Sure. But as we just mentioned, with Lupin being a member of the Marauders, Snape does not have a great history with the Marauders. No. He hates at least three of them. They're his bullies. He hates, I mean, he really hates two. He hates Sirius, and he hates James. James. Because those are the two that torment him the most. And, okay, so, I mean, he hates Sirius because Sirius... Was the one who, like you said, he bullied him the most. He actively bullied him. James he hates because that plus you're with the woman I'm, you know, right. Fond so of. Sirius is at like a seven. James is at like a nine out of ten because <laughs> he's doubling up on the. Yeah, and then I feel like Peter is like a three because he just is like, <laughs> look I, what they did. I don't think Snape really thinks much of. No, no one does. And then Lupin is probably like a five, where it's like. You could be putting a stop to this bullying, but you're not usually actively doing it. It's, but it's you were a witness to what I went through when I was in my youth. You saw the bullying that occurred to me. To have to work with And now bully, you have the job that I want. Yes, you have the job that I want, and you have the memories of who I was versus who I am as an adult. And that is and difficult. I think it's also of note that I think, I'm, I'm just projecting, I have no idea to actually know this. <laughs> But I assume they were also academic rivals. Oh, probably. They're both very talented, brilliant people. I imagine they were academically Well, like when they were taking their owls, James uh, James was done when he was doodling. Sirius was just kind of like messing with his hair. Peter was trying to copy from each other. Lupin was writing. And Snape's essay was a lot, too. Yeah, yeah. so I'm assuming the academic rivalry was also part of it. Yeah. So there's... It's a there's a lot, and I, as Anna knows, there's a lot to the Marauders that you can really <laughs> dive into and pick apart. Yeah, um, and I know, like, of course, Harry's focusing on like, oh, I guess Snape hates him. Interesting, but I mean, from Snape's perspective, yeah, this is a lot. This is not going to be a fun year. I have to work with someone who was a bully, or at least associated with bullies, 
and knows and remembers that part of my life that I would like to put aside. Yeah. No. So it, there's a lot there and we'll get into it because it's a whole thing throughout <laughs> the rest of the book. But uh, before we go, I know we're running long. Apologies for that. But one last quote that I wanted to bring up. Mm-hmm. And the quote is uh, from Harry as Dumbledore gets up to speak. And he just has this presence of calm within him. And he says, quote, you cannot help but trust Albus Dumbledore. Hmm. End quote. So that quote is interesting to me. This is something you've debated several times with many of us. Yeah. And it's... And it came back up in Secrets of Dumbledore again. Yeah. And because I think he says, trust me. Trust me. You want to <laughs> blind... Like, I'm not telling you anything. Just trust me. Right. And because it's Albus Dumbledore... You do. You do. And I get that. But I strongly urge all of our listeners, try not to just blindly follow. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to actually... I mean, blindly follow us on Twitter. <laughs> at <Hogwarts laughs> Shameless plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, we also have an Instagram. Um, do follow us, though. I usually do a lot of fun tweets. Anna posts a lot of fun pictures. She's really good at it, so please <laughs> please do follow us. But, no, but seriously, Albus Dumbledore likes to tell people but never actually explain anything. Like, right. just, hey, come follow me. I'll set everything right. Just right. do what I say. Well, she has a track record of it, but do you think that's a dangerous thing to do. Here's here's a question I'm going to pose to you. Okay. Um, we're hopefully going to keep this short. Uh, but Grindelwald had a persuasion to him. Mm-hmm. And he had this way of speaking and having people follow him. Mm-hmm. Do you at all think that Dumbledore has a little, like, extra tinge about him? Like, a little extra where he can get people to just trust him or is it just purely well he's a great wizard he's proven he's a great wizard we should just trust him are you asking like did Dumbledore have that persuasion that Grindelwald has similar but different like not an adoration thing Mm -hmm. but like oh he's telling us to trust him so we believe him we'll trust him we'll trust in him you know what I'm saying I think um like a little extra bit of an aura about him yeah, I could see that. I'm not play. saying that he's like maliciously doing it. I'm just saying that it's like you just feel comfortable. An effect of being in his presence. Yeah, like you know what I'm saying. Someone great. And like it's not exactly charisma, but it's like uh, I think it's a confidence. He knows maybe. that he'll take care of it, and he knows if you trust him, it will go the way he wants it to. I don't know that he's intending with the words like "trust me" mm. to have like a. Well, even okay. just, just with the, those words, though, like, I mean, like, I keep thinking about Aladdin, like, do you trust me? And it's like, yes. Like, the, yeah, I do. Why? I don't know, but I do. And I could see that for Dumbledore. Maybe. I don't know. It's just a quote that popped up and with Secrets of Dumbledore and him saying things like that all the time. <laughs> it's like, it's just making me wonder about, maybe, you know, Dumbledore in general. Yeah. But I've had he a lot a of mystery. takes on Dumbledore. He is a mystery. He's a man of mystery. All right. Well... <laughs> We've had a very full chapter. We hope you've enjoyed listening to us talk about <laughs> Chapter 5, The Dementor. Um, there's a lot to it. There's so, a lot to these chapters in general. I forgot how much there was packed in Yeah, it. she's coming back for Chapter 6, um, which is Tea Leaves. Uh, talons and, and Tea Leaves. Talons and Tea Leaves, which I am so excited to have her on for this. It's going to be good. Um, so... 
please come back for chapter six next week. Uh, thank you all for listening. I do want to shout out our fans in the UK. Uh, yeah. We've had a big listen bump from the UK. So thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. As she said earlier, check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts of Pod. We really appreciate it. So for Elizabeth, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.